All right, all right. Well, it's Easter. Are you guys happy about that or what? Where do you think, yeah, it's good. Where do you think this whole uh, he is risen indeed thing happened? Like, indeed, who says indeed anymore? This is definitely a British thing. But we're here. It's nice. We're, uh, we're getting a puppy, and some of you guys um, voted on Instagram. Thank you for those who voted. Um, so in case you guys were wondering, there's two choices, and it was either Scout or Gus. And it's a boy dog. Um, Bear was the original favorite, but quickly got voted down. And uh, overwhelmingly, people went with Gus. So our new dog's name will be Gus. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cute. For those of you who voted Scout, thank you. I don't really like the name Scout. It sounds pretentious to me. If your dog's name is Scout, I apologize. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, you know, I should just keep my opinion to myself up here. Um, anyways, let's pray. I think it's really important um, when we do that, that prayer is never something from the person with the mic. It's something that we each kind of engage in. And especially, I, don't, I really don't think, and for those of you who are watching at home too on the internet, it's really important I always really believe that before we ever digest the word, that we spend time in worship. That's why I hate podcasts. I think it's something that needs to be walked into with a spirit of worship and, and something where we haven't just, just turn it on and listening in your car while you're driving because the Holy Spirit works when we're sensitive to the Spirit. And it's a spirit that brings enlightenment, not, not wisdom or opinion. And so it's important that we just pause and we ask to be filled with the Spirit and we just empty ourselves of, of just personal opinion or even offense. As I was reading through my notes, I thought to myself, some of you are going to be mad at me tonight. And then you're not going to hear the rest of the message. There's going to be one thing and you're going to say, oh, why do you have to say that? And then afterwards you will have heard nothing. And, and the spirit needs to come and soften our hearts and to just, just remove opinion that's from man. I think that's really important. And um, it's a very challenging text. It's not a very Eastery text. It's probably the most challenging text in the entire scripture. And, uh, and I just think it's important that we pause, ask to be filled with the Spirit, and then we'll move on, okay? So let's do that. If, 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 if you're a believer, we get to invite Jesus to fill us with His Spirit, and He will. And we ask that in faith, knowing that we've received it. If you're not a believer, you can ask that God Himself will come and enlighten your eyes, and, and he will do that. So let's just pray that for 10 seconds, and then I'll close this time off in prayer. God, um, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, God, that there'd be a corporate infilling God, we pray that your spirit would come and enlighten and guide. God, your word is foolishness to those who do not have the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that concepts that would sound foolish would just ring with all authority and truth because they're the very words of God, the one who is truth. Jesus, come and guide us. We love you, Father. Amen. Well, there was a missionary couple who went to the Middle East, and many people warned them against this. They brought their family with them, and they said, how would you ever bring your family to the Middle East and proclaim Jesus in that setting? They said it's dangerous. And one day they were gone, and their son was home alone, and and he thought, man, things aren't so hard. 
there was a knock at the door, and, and he looked down, and there was a present, nicely wrapped, and he brought the present in the house, and he thought, man, this is great. He unwrapped the present and opened it, and it was a bomb, and it blew him across the room, and for two years, he held on to life. He was just surviving, and eventually he was he, he, he lived, he survived, and his, his face was completely burned, and they said that every, every bone in his face was broken. And right now, today, he can see a bit, and he can hear a bit, and he's starting to walk. And, and ironically, people are just trying to find the guy to have revenge for the family. And they released the photo of the guy, they found him, and it was in the newspaper, and the father took the picture, and he cut it out, and he put it right into his Bible. And then when, when reporters came and asked him about that, he said that he loves this man. That's what he said. He said, I'm praying for him. And when they found out that this man who was arrested and was, was placed in jail had four children, this family who received the explosive decided to sponsor those four kids and provide for them. So they know the children of the man who nearly killed their son, and they look out for them, and they pray for the man who did this, and they visit him in prison. Unbelievable. This family is completely set free from bitterness or rage. And you know what? Our instinct is revenge, isn't it? We watch a movie, and there's a bad guy that's done some bad thing, and every director knows that like, the highlight of the movie is that moment where the guy says, you know, pins him down. He's got a gun to his head and he says, that's it. You're going to merit. And then, Poof. I don't want to say hell. And <laughs> it's that highlight of the whole movie where the revenge happens and every single person in the audience has a little place that's just, oh, that need is just, it's scratched. And all of a sudden you can move on. The highlight of the movie is the revenge and we all feel it. But here's the reality is that it's only in actually following Jesus that we live in freedom. It's actually only trusting him that we find freedom. It's not in sort of dealing with these primal urges that we have where we find freedom. It's actually in trust. It's actually trusting him. When the Apostle John is in prison on Patmos, he's been tortured. I want you to imagine. He's been tortured, dipped in hot oil. He's near death. He's laying on the floor in so much pain, and all the other 11 apostles are dead. All his best friends are dead. All of them. Whoa. Stephen has been martyred. He's on the brink of death himself, and people are torturing him. And he was probably full of so much just hate. And Jesus appears in that prison cell, and John looks at him and collapses. He actually falls down, and he's collapsed. He sees just this powerful Jesus, and he's on the ground, and Jesus comes, and he touches him, and John comes to and looks up at Jesus, and get this. <laughs> John says that his face is shining with the brilliance of the sun, and he says that in his right hand, he's holding seven stars. <laughs> like, what would that look like? This is John trying to describe what he's seeing. Like an image so powerful. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. 
John, you remember Good Friday, how you felt? And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the resurrected Jesus. And, and this is the Jesus who calls John into this faith, just says, trust me. Do you think I'm big enough? Trust me. Let's go with this. Just trust me. I know there's lots of things rolling around in your head. I know you want revenge. I know you're afraid of infections because you just got boiled. I know you have all these troubles, John, but just trust me. You see, after Jesus died, that Friday would have been absolutely horrible. I can't even imagine Mary going to bed that night. Can you imagine? When Jesus walked by Mary, she didn't even recognize him as her son. They say that he just looked like an animal, just, just skin completely exposed. She didn't even know it was him. And he dies, and she goes to bed Friday night. And all the apostles, these apostles were baptized. They publicly, they publicly in front of all their friends said, we are going to die because we're going to come back to life, and you're going to see it happen in Jesus. Like, this, this is the sign of, this is the sign but Jesus is dead, and they saw him die, and then they saw blood and water come out because his white blood cells were separated. He was dead. They took a sword, and they squished it all around in there. He's dead. And so they go to bed. And then Saturday, silent Saturday, just imagine the mocking, the mocking. Oh, yeah, Jesus. You guys are such idiots to follow that guy. Look at him. He's dead. And then Sunday, Jesus resurrects, but you got to understand that many of them didn't know. There was no social media. There was no text. These guys were all hiding because they were so ashamed. They didn't even know. They didn't know. And what happens is two of his followers were walking down a road, and Jesus shows up. And for however it worked, I don't know, but his, his identity was blurred to them, and they didn't know who he was. Jesus shows up to them. This is amazing. And Jesus says, what's troubling you? And the text says this. The text says in the book of Luke that their faces were downcast. They were miserable. The Greek word for this downcast word is this skythropoi. And, and it's this really powerful word in the Greek that means hopeless despair. Like this was a hopeless despair like you couldn't imagine they put everything into this, and now he's dead, and they didn't know he's back to life. And they're just full of this skythropoi, and they're so messed up. But watch what happens next. Luke 24, it says this. Jesus revealed himself. They had this incredible revelation. They embraced. And then Luke 24, 52. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they, start, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Unbelievable. See, they found great joy, and this is the central theme of the entire scripture, is that this great joy is available to us. Like, this horrible despair that we find ourselves in, it is just temporary. It's not going to last, and this is how it looks. And as he closes out the Sermon on the Mount, which is today, this closing out, he says, this is how it looks to live in the kingdom. Listen to what he talks about. He repeats what Scripture's been saying all along. This is Proverbs 31. This is describing a godly woman who puts her trust in God. You ready? We talked about this like two or three months ago when we were talking about sex. <laughs> Proverbs 31. 
She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. Do you love that? She can laugh at the days to come. She thinks about her future, and she can laugh. She's not worrying about retirement, who she's going to marry, how things are going to go with employment. She can laugh. Imagine that being you. Imagine that. Do you guys want that? Do you want this night to go to bed and say, tomorrow's coming. Oh, baby, bring it on. I'm laughing at my days to come. I'm so full of joy. Do you guys want that? I want that. Why don't we grab our Bibles? We're going to get into our text. It's Matthew 7. It's really, yeah, grab your Bible or, or open your phone. Just, it's so good to have a hard copy in front of you. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount. He's been sitting there, and thousands have been listening, and this is his conclusion. This is what sums up everything that he's been teaching them. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, we've all heard this, right? This is so common. I remember listening to Salty, the singing songbook, and this was my favorite song back then. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, what is Jesus saying here? It's really important to understand what exactly he's talking about. Middle East is kind of like, how many of you guys have been to a Soyuz? Hands up. A Soyuz? (laughs) Yeah? Okay, the Middle East is like a Soyuz, and our camp happens to be in a Soyuz. Same thing. Cactus, snakes, sand. One time we had an excavator out there, and I thought to myself, I'm going to see how far I can go. And I just, it's really fun to dig a hole. And I just started digging, and with this excavator, just digging, digging, digging. As far down as I could go, there was sand. I could dig 200 feet, and it would just be sand. That's all that there is. The whole ark property is sand, and as a result of that, everything at the ark is temporary. We just went back. We looked at our dining hall. Guess what the floor looks like? And it's completely concave like this. All the foundations washed away in the rain. We need to fix it, by the way, in case you're wondering. But here's our program shed. If you've seen our brochure from the past, it's such a nice, beautiful program shed. We went last year. Oh, how you doing, program shed? (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. You know what happened is there was a lot of snow, and as the snow melted, what happened is that the water started to move. And you know when you're standing in the ocean and, you're st- and, and the water recedes behind you and wherever you're standing, you start to dig a hole because everything underneath rushes away, all the sand? That's what happens at the ark. That's the story of a Soyuz. And you know what? This is the same thing as the Middle East. And lots of people wanted to build houses, but to build the foundation was very difficult. To get down to anything solid took a lot of work, a lot of effort, and most people didn't bother and built it straight on the sand. 
And this is really important to note because look at this. This is actually a house that they believe this was the house of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know if that can be historically verified. However, he lived in a house similar for sure. So when Jesus is speaking of a house, he's speaking of a house like this. Look at those walls. There is so much weight there. The roof was so much weight. And you have to understand something that happened in these villages very commonly was that in the middle of the night, as they're sleeping, storms would come and the rain would come. And what happened to these houses was that many of them collapsed as the family slept and just instantly killed them all. Did you know that? This was common because the water just rushed underneath the house and there was nothing holding it down. It was built on sand and the people in the house came down. And when Jesus said it came down with a great crash, this is what he's talking about. He's saying that many of you will be buried and messed up when the storms of life come. He's saying many of you in this audience. Just previously, he said that the gate is narrow. So this audience of thousands, he's saying most of you are going to be crushed. Oh my goodness. This is the hope that he says that you do have. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's actually putting his words into practice. It's relentless trust. It's like the family whose son got blown away. Their own heart is telling them revenge. But putting the words of Jesus into practice means loving your enemies. It's trusting in him and not us. It's huge. Here's what James says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, Many people aren't actually Christians. They look like it because their house looks like everybody else's. You can't see the foundation. The foundation is hidden, but it's what's real. This is why Jesus said, so many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, in other words, this profession that I am God. But he'll say, I never knew you. Because I was never your foundation. You never did the will of the Father, which is to actually trust me. It's a crazy word. Proverbs 3, 5, you guys all know this. This is every baptism, well, this in Jeremiah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him and not me. It's huge. So how do I do this? It's, you know what, we're so independent we're so used to, to believing that the way that we feel is so right. You ever notice that our grandparents would say statements like, well, you know, I really, I know that, and then they would say something. I know that the sky is blue. That's a terrible example. And then our parents' generation would say something like, I think that I like that truck. So it went from knowing to thinking, and what does this generation say? You know what, I just really feel like, you know, I just really feel, and everything has changed from knowing to thinking to feeling, and we just believe everything that our heart says, and we just, we just go with it. You know what, we have questions like, should I date that person? And somehow we believe that it's up to us if we date that person or not. 
What does Jesus say? He says that if they're godly, then we don't. It's, it, it's, not, it's not, okay, then also, it's, if you're actually trusting him and put his words into practice, then we're saying, okay, I trust you, okay. Should I move in with her? Should I move in with him? Is that even a question that we have? Our own understanding says yes, but Jesus says no. Should I, how should I spend my money? Should I, should I buy that? You know what? It's not up to me. Jesus says that if we hear his words and put them into practice, then we're building our house on the rock when we actually just say, I actually completely surrender to your word and I trust you. It changes everything. Do I go to that party and get drunk? It's not a question. If you're following Christ, then, then it's an absolutely no. It's, I'm not because my house is on the rock. If it's not, I will come to ruin. It's a guarantee. You see, here's the thing is that it's not up to the school district if I have sex outside of marriage. It's not. It's not up to Justin Trudeau if I do drugs. It's not. Jesus says be slow to anger. Slow to anger. So when I get cut off on the highway, it means I don't have the option of giving the middle finger because I'm slow to anger. The decision's been made for me already, and I simply just trust. Do you guys see how this works? I think so often we think, you know what, these things are all up to me. These are my choices that I get to make. And that's true, we do. We get to choose. But Jesus is saying that if you want to know me, if you want to have your life on a solid foundation, then you'll do what I say. And there's these sweaters and hats. You guys have all seen them. They say obey, right? You've seen those? And somehow we've taken that word to be derogatory, and this is like a mock, obey. It's kind of like, because we have these teachers that are so old and so strict, and it's like, you will listen to me. And so we think, okay, that person doesn't love me, they're being strict, they're actually being outdated, and so now obey is this word that's got negative connotations. However, when it is Yahweh himself, the giver of all life, the one who is truth, when he says, trust me, and you will be on solid foundation, and when the storms come, you will be solid, guess what it is? It's thank you. It's that word is sweet. It's got no negative connotation at all beautiful. You know what? There's nothing solid in this world. The advice that we get is solid garbage. Our media is filthy. And it's, and it's, it's, there's so much veiling of truth. We watch Friends, and, and we like the TV show Friends, right? There's these friends, and they're friends. And they have friends. And they're funny, and they get along, and they have stuff in common, and then they talk about having a threesome and hooking up and it just slowly goes underneath the rug because we're listening and, oh, oh, this is, so this is how it is. And there's just this lying that happens. There's a veiling of truth. We watch The Bachelor, and they'll only decide if they will move on with that person after the overnight stay, after they have sex, to see if they are compatible. And people are watching, millions, and they're saying, okay, So in order to know who I marry, this is what I need to do. I need to see if I'm compatible. Instead of saying, God, what do you say about that? If I want to be on the rock, you know what it means? It's I say, what do you tell me to do? I will obey and I'll be on the rock and I will know you and this is the narrow path. It's so simple, but it gets so complicated sometimes. And 
what I find so troubling is that so many of our kids are, are, are trying to get answers from all the wrong places. The internet's got a million different things. Kids are not even understanding um, their sexual orientation, who they're supposed to be attracted to. And so they'll say, okay, who should I be attracted to? And they'll take a test. I've seen these tests. Are you attracted to this? Are you attracted to that? At the end, here comes your orientation. It's like, whatever. You were attracted to Minnie Mouse when you were in grade four, so now you're tune sexual. Are you kidding me? I just made that up. That's not real. But Jesus says that if you're trusting me, then you're hearing from me who you're going to be and how your sexuality looks. And then you say, thank you. I'll trust you. It's so beautiful. If you want to be solidly anchored, we need to be built on the only rock. And these things are not up to us. But we love advice. We love to seek advice from other people. Every magazine, go to the grocery store and look. Everything's self-help. Five tips to better abs. Five tips to a better sex life. Five blah, blah, blah. Do this, do that. And then there's Oprah. Oh, there she is. Read these books. And people are like, okay, Oprah, I'll follow your advice. I'll listen to you. And no, she's not the rock. She's absolutely not the rock. Last night we watched some of the Beyonce homecoming. I don't know if you guys saw that. And they start by praying. And I'm like, oh, this is great. All these people are praying and they're praying and they're saying all glory to God. Glory to you, God. And I'm thinking, this is great, because so many people say she is the role model. She is like the role model to so many girls. And then she gets on stage, and her first song, she's dropping F-bombs and talking about revenge and talking about one-night stands. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. All these people are just, like, singing these songs. And I'm like, is this our standard? Our music celebrates objectifying each other and getting drunk and the party scene. And our commercials are designed to make us discontent. And so if I go there for where I'm going to find truth, it's just a load of garbage. I saw this commercial the other day, and, and it caught my attention. It said this. It said, are you asleep? I was like, oh. <laughs> Many people are walking around with no purpose and blah, 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 and they're asleep. And I'm like, oh, this sounds just like wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. I thought, this is for some church. And then the guy says, this is the truth for many people's lives, and they're driving. And I'm like, driving? <laughs> it went to some car commercial telling people, if you feel like your life is mundane and pointless, you need this car. And it's such a load of garbage because advertisers know that we make our own decisions, that we don't trust God. They know it. And they know that it's all up to us and that most of us are asleep and spiritually dead. So this is a perfect tactic. And, and Jesus says, trust me. He says, I'm the only rock. I'm the only one. You're not going to find it in anywhere else. In the 70s and 80s, as you guys all know, there was so many cults that just moved into North America. There was the Hare Krishnas in the 70s. There's all these proclamations that God is dead. It's so ironic that, that since the Beatles said that God is dead, um, Christianity has just exploded in the world. And is, there's more followers now than ever before. God is surely not dead. But you know what? I've noticed that so many people in Kelowna are, are just fascinating with the teachings of Buddhism and other Eastern religions. And 
And you know what the reality is? Is that, is that Buddha himself, Siddhartha Gautama, says, I don't even exist. Don't worship me. When I die, I won't exist, and I never did exist. And, and he says, I am nothing to hold anything upon. He was a man that would say, don't do that to me. He was, he was so skinny and sickly that as he bathed, he was nearly washed down the stream. They found him holding on to a branch, and they had to rescue him. He then died of food poisoning, and Buddha died and rotted. And so many people are thinking, I just need to follow. Like, that sounds like truth to me. And then there's Jesus. Contrast that with Jesus. He's standing there, face shining like the sun, holding seven seven stars, more alive now than ever. And he says, trust me, I am the anchor. Trust me, I am the only foundation. Do you guys see what I'm saying? We need to trust him with all of our hearts. This is how we are delivered from this skithropoi that we're talking about, this despair. This is how we're delivered. And the invitation is incredible. But Jesus it's, says that it's only for those who do the will of the Father. He says, if you want to enter the narrow gate, then take my words and put them into practice. Trust me. It's relentless trust. So many people look at the church and they say, there's so many hypocrites and there's so many that have fallen. There's so many that their lives are in ruin. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, that's so true. Their house looks the same, but their foundation was not built on trust. And when the storm came, they fell. And everybody points and says, ah, I told you, Christians. They're no different than the rest of us. And Jesus says, Trust me. This is the core of his teaching. Listen to what I have to say. He says, if you want to live a life that when the rains come, when you're least aware, and you want to stand firm, trust me. I promise you this is truth. See, he is Papa. He is Abba. No one loves you more. He is sovereign and life-giving and good. And when he says, trust me, You can trust him. Can you imagine laughing at your future? Do you guys want that? It comes comes when we put his words into practice. The resurrection is the greatest news in the world to those who actually trust him. Easter is wonderful. It's the greatest. But it's for those who actually put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus. James says, don't merely hear the word and so deceive yourselves. We're going to take communion, and um, I'm just going to ask you to just be really, really present with this communion. Jesus took the bread, and he said, this is what's going to happen to me on Good Friday. They're going to beat my body. And he says that just as much as you go through pain and hurt in life, you can overcome it the same as I will on that grave. What we're doing today is so significant. He took the wine, and he, he, he drank it, and he said, my blood's going to be poured out for you. Do this. These are acts of incredible trust and faith. It's saying, I I put my full faith in you. I'm not just going to listen to the word. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you. Why don't you pray with me, and then we're going to worship together. We're only going to do three songs right now. So I encourage you to just say, you know what, God? What areas of my life have I not actually been putting your word into practice? Have I been trusting in myself? What places have I been rebellious just say, I want to get that right tonight. I want this to be one of those 
weekends that will change my life permanently and forever. So God, Jesus, there's a way that seems right. God, there's ways that that our itching ears want to hear, God. We want to 